It's Friday, March 11th, 2022, and you're listening to episode 592 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 44 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Julia. I'm Brodor. And joining us today is Jason Brick. Hello, guys. Hey, Jason. All right. So we've got some stuff we're going to talk about with Jason. He's got a book coming out that covers a topic that I think is valuable to our audience for a couple reasons. But before we get to that, two real quick things. One, the Fear the Con sign-up site is up and still running. So get out there, sign up for your games, sign up for the stuff you're going to run, the stuff you're going to play. Once again, the website is fearthecon.com. I will put a link to it in the show notes. The second thing is Brodor apparently has something about TikTok. So it has been explained to me that if you are going to pursue any sort of media career, that TikTok is necessary if you want to have a younger audience. So I was, you know, looking into it and a buddy of mine was like, dude, you're terrible with social media. Your buddy Dan had to set up your Facebook page. Let me just take care of it. So he set up. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. No, (laughs) Dan was me on Facebook for almost two years before he threatened. So ultimately, I capitulated and took over the Facebook page. But his ultimate goal was to reconnect with my mother and become (laughs) friends with her. And brutal, right? So anyway, I need to have a TikTok. So my buddy sets me up with a TikTok. And so if you want to follow me, it's it's Toilet Crimes on TikTok. Oh, is it really? Yeah, Toilet Crimes on TikTok. So, so I'm not, can I link this in the show notes? So what did yeah, you, you should. A, what do you put? No, what do you don't know? No. I didn't say should I. I can I? What I is, haven't what started it? yet. That's the thing. Okay. Is that I don't know what the audience wants from me, except for one thing, because TikTok is filled, just filled with unbearably attractive young women who are interested in an older man with a dad bod. Now I'm 47. I'm five foot, almost nine, 188 pounds, 34 inch waist, a little flabby in the middle. Got some nice shoulders though. Got the whole dad bod going thing. But the real kicker is the five to six inch penis. Now I didn't know that there were so many women out there that were looking for me. It's amazing, right? So I'm thinking (laughs) that I'm just going to- I'm dubious. I'm thinking, no, it's me. Just keep scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And these women are like older men, dad bods. Then you'll see them like do these little 12, no, eight, no, Five? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. There are so many people out there that want to be with me. So I'm in the bathroom today. Oh, I took my shirt off. Toilet crimes. I'm making, I'm making <laughs> muscles. And I'm like, I think I need to put this on my TikTok toilet crimes. I think so. Now I'm either going to do me in the mirror just doing poses or my bits of wisdom from the toilet. Oh, that's funny. Wait, okay. So that. I thought this was going to be about you were going to put some of your influence foundation stuff on TikTok. And it sounds like instead you're actually going to put muscle march. On now, I'm t- thinking about getting divorced because it is a target rich environment, Dan. I don't think you understand how many young women out there are interested in someone who has the exact physical characteristics that I do. 
Okay. I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know that. I feel like you don't think this is real. I don't. (laughs) Having been divorced in my mid-40s can confirm. Really? That is so... Okay. My thing was going to be, you know how my husband, Mike, always says that you get a dad bod because you eat your kid's food that they don't eat because you refuse to throw that money away. Oh. So, like, he's like, I'm starting to get a dad bod because I eat all of Eliza's leftover crap. Dude, that makes a ton of sense. I'm not even kidding. So, like, you can join that dad bod. My favorite TikTok video is there's, like, a dad out there who mimics his daughter who's, like, I don't know, eight or nine. And, like, he has this video where he talks about pop sockets that makes me want to pee my pants. He's so funny. He, like, wears these little (laughs) short jean shorts and, like, crop tops. It's like... (laughs) She was so sus. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love this guy. Like, I could just feel like I could see my future, like, in him. <laughs> like, there's my future daughter saying that somebody sussed her over a pop socket exchange. Anyway. Okay, well, now that we're all quite a bit dumber. Because <laughs> of TikTok. Yeah, I, I've often said that I think, I know it's not Jack Dorsey anymore, but whoever it is that runs Twitter really ought to be pumping an enormous amount of money into TikTok because TikTok is the only reason that Twitter is not the biggest collection of morons on the internet. This is true. So there's my two sons. Okay. I can watch beautiful cosplayers. I can... Go to OnlyFans for that. I can watch really cool, like how it's made machinist stuff. The next thing you know, it's some messed up Dr. Pimple Popper thing. So our guest today, Jason Brick, for any of you guys who've been following the show, you're probably already familiar with him because he's done several great anthologies over the years. I've participated in several of them. Wayne's participated in some of them. Brodor, I think you even wrote something in one of them. I did. That was the day we learned you were literate. And we did because you and I both wrote stories that were thematically similar yeah. without having discussed what we were writing with one another. Yeah. yeah it was were. uncanny. You guys wrote something and we won't give away anything because people should buy the, that book too. But you guys wrote on very similar themes. And then my editor, who knows neither of you, bookended the anthology, put one of yours in the front and one of yours in the back. <laughs> the topic is pretty dark too. Yeah, it is. But what Jason's putting together right now, and the Kickstarter for this just launched, so check for a link to that in the show notes, is an anthology of stories. Jason, why don't you explain this? And then I'm going to explain what I want to talk about with this. Fantastic. So the anthology is called There I Was When Nothing Happened. And we're going to have to cast back our minds to about two years ago, first of all, where I started this little podcast called Safest Family on the Block. And for that podcast, I took my coming on to 37 years in the martial arts, my 21 years as a parent, and my 13 years now in journalism. And I used that lens to interview subject matter experts on keeping our kids safe. And you know, one week would be a CIA agent on tradecraft for taking care of your families. The next week it would be a suicide counselor on science and prevention. And then I talked to a nutritionist, and then I go back to some guy who just retired from the special forces. And the idea was to get as much information as possible about how to keep our families safe. And it's not really a more dangerous world now than, say, in the 90s, but it's a more intimidating world now. It's definitely different. We were having a conversation about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the through lines from all the interviews I did with some very dangerous people was that none of them wants to get into a fight. Like every single one of them is the most happy-go-lucky, kind, patient, giving human being. And so out of that came the idea for this anthology where i've got 40 people who are you know high-end martial artists military special forces spies bodyguards bouncers 
And they all tell a story, a real story from their life about the time that they shut down violence by using skills like awareness, de-escalation, avoiding injury through rapid flight. That's the anthology. I found this interesting, and there are two reasons that I want to cover it on our show. Well, I guess three. One is just supporting Jason overall. Jason's a good guy. But the second thing is one of the things that we've talked about a lot on Fear the Boot is that we like to see diversity and storytelling and complexity in the situations and role-playing games and the way that situations work out and such. And I have absolutely no beef with combat in a role-playing game. If anyone's listening to any of the games that I've run or participate in any games that I've run, you know that I am not against the idea of, okay, let's take out the swords and kill a few orcs or whatever the case may be in that game. But I think there's a particular bit of psyche in role-playing where the moment a situation begins to escalate, people kind of lock in on this has to end with one side or the other dead. Mm That the other ways of resolving this, retreating, surrendering, talking them down, these things just don't come to mind as readily. And so I think looking at these real-world situations can give you an idea of how in an RPG to portray strategies for de-escalating or avoiding conflict. And in some games, maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. I mean, if you're doing a loot and scoot dungeon clear, then I realize this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you're playing something that's got a bit more role play to it, or you're playing a game that's a lot more lethal, a lot more dangerous, and you don't want your character to die, or you're even a loot and scoot, and you're third level and you accidentally found the dragon's lair in the first few moves through the dungeon, and you need to roll this back you need to you know stop this conflict and so this can teach you storytelling techniques based on real world events about how to turn back violence but the second reason i want to talk about this and i don't want to get too real with this all right and even though these are real stories i don't want to get too hard on this because i know this can edge into some political hot topics and such but right now let's be honest the world's kind of wound up tight. I mean, if any you're paying attention at all, people are wound up really tight right now and people are acting crazy. And I think it would be a great service for us to get this information out there so that we, and I'm going to include us, the hosts here in this, can use this information in our daily lives. So if you get some wacko on an airplane or somebody with a chip on their shoulder in the grocery store, or whatever the case is, that you have strategies for not ending this situation in conflict. And, you know, let's start there. And we'll talk about this both from a standpoint of role play and real world. Why not just have the conflict and win? I think uh, there's a lot of things to go into there. And one of the reasons that I've reached out to gaming podcasts like yours and like Mike's is that... There's a lot of nerds in martial arts, a lot of us. And that's probably a causal relationship based on our experiences in late middle school or late grade school, early middle school. And so there's a lot of folks who have that, you know, we have a little bit of skill, we might be armed or whatnot, but I absolutely agree with you, Dan. People are really wound tight right now. People are really angry right now. But anger is just fear dressed up for Halloween, right? And so 
when we're angry, it's so useful to just kind of step back a minute and think, okay, what am I afraid of that's making me so angry right now? And if we can have some skills, have some experience, have some uh, examples from people who've been there and done that, that fear can go away because we're a little more prepared. Right. And finding a way to de-escalate not only protects you from potential harm, but let's say you've had all this training, you've had all this experience, you're prepared for this in every human way possible. The reality is that in a worst case scenario, you never know how a situation is going to go down. Yeah. You can lose or be severely injured in a fight even when you do not expect it to happen. You don't know where the other person's been. You don't know what they know. You don't know what's going on. You don't know if there are three of their friends behind you. And so even if you're in the right, and even if you're trained, and even if you're all this other stuff, the best way to win a fight is for it not to happen. To check your ego, to bring down your anger, to just chill out about whatever it is and walk away. The second reason is... This is going to vary from place to place and situation to situation. But even if you do succeed, you've now hurt somebody, Mm -hmm. which if you're not a psychopath, that's not an ideal part of your day. And secondly, you may now be facing legal issues. Even if you walked away physically unscathed, you may be facing very costly legal issues where even winning them is going to do a lot of damage to your mental health and to your wallet. And so let's go back to Mr. Miyagi. Best way we want to fight, no be there. Absolutely. And the last time I was on the show back a couple of years ago, Dan, you told a story about you were leaving some kind of event, maybe something at the theater and some dumbass kids were throwing rocks at you and the woman who was at that time your wife. And yes. you were packing at the time and yes, you didn't shoot anybody. Yeah, no, that that is a completely true story. Yeah, for anyone who's not heard it, I'll retell it. We were at a fundraiser for an abused woman's shelter at a place in St. Louis called The Pageant. I built the website. Thank you very much. It's a great theater, but it's It's, not in the best part of town. It's a great theater, except for the acoustics blow i mean you you don't go there to see music i mean it's a music venue yeah but don't see music there and if you turn 90 degrees to the right you're gonna get shot oh no not even it's cleaned up a lot (laughs) has it i worked down there well this was so uh, this was some years ago yeah i was saying it's a lot yeah what happened is the acoustic still suck is when we were leaving we were walking across a rock covered parking lot And there was this cluster of what looked like older teenagers, maybe young 20s at oldest, that were up against a wall. And there was maybe five or six of them. And I guess they were just trying to show off to each other. I don't know what their issue was, but they started picking up rocks and chucking them specifically at Carla, who was as Jason said, my then wife. And was it a racial issue? I don't know. I, okay. I could speculate, but this would be nothing but speculation and probably take the show a direction I don't want to go. So I'll yeah, just I mean, say just for the audience, your ex-wife is not a, a Caucasian. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. My ex-wife was not, she was not Caucasian, but whatever their motivation was, they were chucking rocks at her. And this was starting to concern me that like, okay, what's the situation here? And, Like Jason said, I did have a pistol in my pocket, which in Missouri is legal. So, I mean, I wasn't breaking any laws here. And I looked at the situation and said, okay, there's these five or six physically able, ready to go individuals 
who are not just taunting, but are being physically aggressive toward my wife. And so as her husband, you know, I want to protect her and it's getting to my ego. And on top of that, I don't know if this is going to escalate into greater violence. And I, on the fly, having to process this really fast, I'm angry, I'm worried, I don't know where this is going, I don't know what this is about, it's pissing me off, they're doing this to my wife. And I was like, you know, it is humiliating, but the smartest thing that I can do is just keep walking. Because if I engage these individuals, I don't know where it's going to go. And even best case scenario, if I win, right, I've taken a life, maybe multiple lives, over rock throwing. If this was something large enough and dangerous enough that I thought it could have really hurt somebody, it would have been different. But these are more kind of, it was a little bit bigger than gravel, but these weren't like bricks. Yeah, it wasn't like they were chucking like cinder blocks at her or something. Mm -hmm. And so I decided on the spot, what I want to do is I'm just going to place myself between her and them. So I moved to that side of her so that the rocks would be blocked physically by me. And I said, you know, just keep your head forward and we're just going to keep walking. And we walked away. And yes, it was enraging. It was humiliating. But everybody went home that night. And that's a life skill. That's a life skill that has storytelling applications, I believe. Because I think a lot of times when we talk about a role-playing game, why do so many situations end in violence? Because it's fun. Well, partially because it's fun. It's cathartic. It's whatever. But also because... Oftentimes, the games really don't allow another way out. If you wander into a layer of chaotic, evil whatnots, you can't talk them down, right? It's not allowed. And it's not that there's anything in the game that stops you, but that's just the prevailing culture. That now it's time for combat. You can't say, let's work this out. Somebody has to die. Well, and I do find it a lot easier to do it in video games. Like when I'm playing video games that allow choices... I tend to de-escalate, not fight, for a couple reasons. I prefer the story over the fighting anyway, but also because the opportunity is there. Whereas when you're sitting around a table with a bunch of people, everybody has differing opinions on how you're going to approach a situation. And usually the strategic way is not the preferred way because you have to talk about it. Mm. It's not immediate action, I feel like. Does that make sense? Like, No, it makes perfect sense. I think that that's why I see issues that... I would personally much rather be the person who talks us out of a situation than us actually have to roll dice. Like it sounds really jacked up because I prefer that side. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, I think something else that these games have had historically, though recently it's gotten much better, is they don't reward you for yeah. de-escalation. You don't get mm. treasure for it. You don't get treasure. You don't get XP. You kill the no monster. No eaves for live, kobolds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you kill the bad guy. You get his stuff, you Mm -hmm. get his shoes, you get his socks, and you get some XP. You talk the bad guy down, you get nothing. Now, that's changing. Games are reaching a point now where they're starting to reward role play. They're starting to reward creative problem solving, both video games and tabletop games. And even going back to early D&D, I do recognize that technically an encounter did not always mean combat yeah. but the culture just evolved in such a way that that was how it was you you were going to fight and if you lost your character was dead there was no other option i think i played exalted that actually had a pretty extensive encounter system based around social so it was a lot easier for you to do that and that was one of my first role playing games that i played as an adult 
And so maybe that's why I gravitate towards that because it was so instilled in the beginning of my gaming. Yeah, I I mean, I know this is tangential to the topic, but I really do think White Wolf deserves a lot of credit for mm. the current the gaming zeitgeist. Mm. Yeah, because I think they were ahead of their time, but that's yeah. beside the point. But I'm with you. Yeah. But for Jason's book, the thing that for me as an audience member, I find will be very applicable to gaming in particular is I'm running a Savage Worlds pulpy sort of Call of Cthulhu game and they're college kids, right? And so not only are they not adults who haven't experienced the real world and the violence of the real world and this ugliness, right? But also it's Cthulhu. So when they do have a combat encounter, it's going to be something as mundane as a fist fight due to an inappropriate comment made about an NPC or or a fellow PC, right? Then the other extreme is going to be it's going to be running away from the otherworldly horror. So the stories or anecdotes in this book are going to be helpful for me because it's going to give me a lot of... well. I'm going to steal something that Jason said previously when he and I spoke on my show, and that was people who write about sex and write about violence. It is very easy to tell who doesn't have experience in either subject, right? And so the, the idea that I don't have a lot of experience with violence, if I read about violence, maybe I'll tell better stories about violence. If I read more anecdotes about avoiding violence, uh, not just circumventing it, but escaping it, etc., maybe that's going to help me be a better storyteller in those scenarios as well. And as I've gotten older, we really do explore more social situations and dramatic situations that don't involve combat or they involve a combat that is very obviously one-sided against the players and it's something that we maybe should reconsider absolutely now i'm going to nakedly plug the book for a second but you'll see where i'm going with this (laughs) because the book is uh divided into five sections each of which is a stage of interaction prior to actually throwing down and the stages that the book puts down, of course, any any list of things is arbitrary. There could have been 10, there could have been two, but we, we landed on five. And that's preparation, awareness, avoidance, de-escalation, and escape. And one of the issues with many games is when you sit down with your Dungeon Master's Guide or its metric equivalent in whatever game you're playing, there's literally zero guidance for any of those steps, and it goes straight to the combat. So when you're sitting there trying to run a game and somebody says, hey, I just tried to talk to him for a second. There's no preparation, nothing listed in the module you bought, nothing in the rule book that prepares you for dealing with that. So you kind of tend to hand wave it and roll initiative. But if instead you kind of come to this, to your adventure design, to your encounter design with these stages in mind, then you can kind of think of, okay, what parts of preparation might the PCs do to handle this in another way. And I think that uh, Blades in the Dark does a fantastic job with that, better than any game I've ever played. And then are there things that skills related to awareness and sussing out the situation, insight, whatever, could those impact the situation and be keeping these in mind while you're designing your encounter, while you're designing your adventure? Yeah, and it's... then avoidance and de-escalating language, using your diplomacy checks, whatever, and then you know running like hell. And if you create your encounters from the beginning with some thoughts for each of those, even if it's just a bullet point or something scrawled on the back of a napkin, 
all of a sudden you've created a much wider, more vibrant, more colorful, more interesting set of options for your players. Yeah, and I think something that's worth noting here is for the average individual, okay, assuming we're not talking about a person or an imaginary creature, you know, from like some D&D game or something like that. For most people, violence is a means, it is not an end. What I mean by that is that there's an underlying question that I don't think gets enough attention in conflict, which is what is it the other party actually wants? And I recognize sometimes in a random street mugging or whatever, you may not have time to work that out. But when I was in that situation where I was walking across the parking lot and those individuals were throwing rocks at us, I thought about it for a minute. I took a look at them. I was processing this. And this happened very quickly. But nonetheless, there wasn't enough time there for me to think a little bit. Like, you know what these guys want? They're a bunch of punks that are showing off to each other. Mm -hmm. They don't actually want blood. They're just trying to show that they're just trying to be cool. They're trying to show that they're the big man on the block to each other. And so it's humiliating. It's enraging. But that's all they want. So if we keep our heads forward and just walk on by and do not challenge their dominance, then they leave us alone. They got what they wanted. You know, in a role-playing game, to use a World of Darkness example, if someone in your vampire clan who's at a different political station than you are comes after you, probably what they want is more territory or more followers or they want more position or more authority within the clan. And so you can find ways like, you know, through role play, here's how I can give this person what they want, or at least make them think they have what they want, or maybe even change their mind and convince them they don't want this in the first place. Because what they were doing with violence was they were just using that as a tool to solve a problem. The violence itself is not what they wanted. But that was what they were using to get to what they wanted. And if you can redirect the person to a way to get what they want that doesn't involve bloodshed, that oftentimes, both in role-playing games and real world, can bring a situation in a very, very different direction. I was watching a thing on YouTube by pure coincidence, just like two days ago or something, where there was a guy that, and I'm not clear who he is, but he was addressing a bunch of people that own and operate self-defense studios. so like dojos and such. And he was talking to them about reinforcing de-escalation techniques while they were also teaching people how to fight and mm-hmm. the, the athletic and violent aspect of it. But he's like, you know, we need to also talk about the social aspect of it. And he gave a story, and as best I remembered, it was something like somebody he knew ended up in a fight with a guy and like only one punch was thrown. But in that one punch, the other guy fell backward and hit his head on a concrete planter and it put him into a brain hemorrhage and he died just like that, you know, over some stupid passing comment, some just bunch of crap out in front of a bar that was not worth it in the least. A punch got thrown and this one punch, which people say, oh, we're just going to throw hands and this is over as the guy was falling hits his head dies guy who punched him 
got six years for it. Jail. Yeah, he got six years yeah. for it and now has a felony, a violent felony at that on his record for the rest of his life. And so what he did is he went around the room and said, I want you to say antagonizing things to me and I'm going to show you how I'd handle them. One guy was like, stop looking at my girl or why are you looking at my girl? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, is, 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 is that Madeline? And the guy was just kind of real role playing out the situation. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, is that Madeline? And the guy's like, what? And he's like, well, I, she looks like someone that I used oh, to work yeah, with. Okay. And I was trying to figure out if I recognized her or not. And so he completely changed the dynamic because he realized it was no longer adversary. That right. It's like not adversarial. Physical, yeah. yeah. He's not trying to interfere with their relationship. He just made it sound like, you know, oh, no, I just I, she looks like somebody I used to work with. And I don't remember all the other ones, but he had them just pepper him with these random threats, these kind of typical fight starting statements and situations and showed how in one sentence he could end them all without fighting yeah. anyone. I've seen that video. Another of them is what you looking at your shirt, man. I love your shirt. Where'd you get it? Nice. Yeah, exactly. And it turns kind of, that was actually one of the things that was in this video. Uh, yeah. That that exact line was, what are you looking at? And yeah, it was, that was his response was your shirt. I love it. Where'd you get it? But in that wow. example, it turns a conflict. It oh. turns what appears to be a threat into a compliment and completely inverts the situation. Now, Jason, I'm curious. I don't want you, of course, to give away the farm because I understand you've got yeah. a book and all that stuff. So I'm not going to ask you to walk me through everything in the book. But is there a story or two in there, or maybe a story or two that didn't make it, that you think are kind of insightful that point out some really clever ways to de-escalate, yeah, de-escalate or, yeah. to re- or to divert these situations? Oh, absolutely. And there's one that I was actually thinking of when you were telling your story, because kind of the moral of your story is deciding that your ego wasn't as important as keeping the peace, not necessarily going to jail, not having to hurt people. Right. And one of the stories is from a guy who's, this guy is a stone badass. He's been a combatant instructor, ex-military, bodyguard to people whose names you would recognize. And he was telling a story about how he was working as the bodyguard to a action star whose name we would recognize, although he did not divulge that name to me because he signed an NDA. And so they're at this bar in Tennessee and the action star and his wife are at a table watching the show. And he's leaning against a wall a little while, little ways away, sipping on a no duels and three guys, you know, early twenties, mid twenties, muscular kind of guys recognize his client and start ramping themselves up to start something. Because it's like a recognizable movie tough guy. And these guys are, you know, whatever's going on in them, they figure they'll score some points by humiliating or attacking this movie tough guy. And so the client, what he does is he pours a little bit of the beer on himself and walks towards the bar and bumps into one of these guys and starts immediately apologizing. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. I've I've just had a little bit too much to drink. Can I get you something? I'm so sorry, right? And the guy's... Start talking to him, and then he does in that kind of friendly, drunk way, hey, hey, so what's going on, guys? What's going on? And one of the guys points to his client and says, you know who that is? And this guy, who is the bodyguard for this client, looks at him, looks back, and he's like, no way! Are you going to get his autograph? What's going on? And so he completely defused these guys, ended up you know, buying them around and scoot them off over there, and nothing happened. And he completely diffused that situation without any of them even finding out he was that guy's bodyguard. There was something you said earlier that I want to circle back to, which is you said that 
Anger is fear dressed up for Halloween or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anger is fear in a Halloween costume or I don't know what yep. the exact wording was. But if I go back to my own situation in the parking lot, mm-hmm. what was really on my mind? You know, was I angry yeah. about it? Yes. But what was really deep down? Mm-hmm. I didn't want either of us to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, that came out in terms of sort of a very stereotypical chest-thumping sort of rage. But the reality is, I did not want to be, I was afraid of being humiliated, which in retrospect, that's not a big deal. Who cares? Yeah. I was afraid of somebody getting hurt. Well, mm-hmm. but when I looked at the rocks that were being thrown, once again, they weren't massive. I mean, this was not really the type of thing that had a profound likelihood of being injurious. And so it's like, I'll just stand in the middle. I was wearing a really puffy coat at the time. It's going to absorb the rocks just fine and keep on walking. And everybody gets what they want, so to speak. But I think there is something there to talk about in that when you look at those situations, you have to not only unpack their psychology, you have to unpack your own. Because assuming it's not just somebody jumps you out of nowhere, it takes two people to fight. And usually in the escalation to the fight, he's dubious over here. There's well, I'm not saying always. I'm not saying always. No, I'm just guilty. But I'm just saying that (laughs) if you look at most fights, there's a ramp up to them. Yeah. A lot of things occur before the first punch is thrown or the first shot is fired. Understanding your own psychological weaknesses, understanding your own, I hate to use this word, but your own toxicity is a great way to already have yourself ready to slow the roll instead of complicating the situation. When I think in the real world, sometimes even the best of us may (laughs) find ourselves in a situation where it would have been better to de-escalate the situation. For example, let's say hypothetically last year you were going to the grocery store and this piece of garbage in their crappy car cuts you off and so you gesture at them and this young man driving this crappy car who was driving down the wrong lane the wrong direction down the lane who cut you off who parks like an a-hole happens to say something to you when you get out of your car now your wife is with you hypothetically but you're seeing red you're just blind and who cares that you're in your mid to late 40s and who cares that you've just recently had a surgery on your shattered elbow because you're angry and then this piece of garbage white trash scum bad words opens up their trunk after talking smack at you and takes out a broom handle oh my and God. threatens you from across the parking lot right. so with a broom well, handle? no pause here by broom handle do you mean a literal broom handle or the other kind no a broom an actual okay. for sweeping broom not okay. a firearm okay because the broom handle is also slang for type of shotgun yeah so, that's, that's, i so didn't know what you were talking about this kid who's probably in his 20s pulls out this stick and now instead of being scared you're even more angry because you're old and fat and this young person actually needs a stick to beat an old man's ass so then you really lose your stuff and you start going across the parking lot because you're going to put that broomstick in their keister however your spouse hypothetically is wise and calm and has survived violence to a level that you could never really comprehend and talks you down 
because they've been shot more than once and they've survived a violent assault on their life. And they were scared that maybe this idiot had a gun. And I was like, they don't know that I don't have a gun. And anyway, sometimes you need to have another party member there who has a higher wisdom, maybe could make that will save that you're not going to make when you get taunted, that has a high persuasion. (laughs) You might not even to persuade them, but to persuade the people in your own party Mm -hmm. that maybe they should calm the F down. Yeah. Now, I brought this up earlier. We wanted to talk about it. And maybe this is just a gender thing, but it is just not my go to. You know what I mean? And maybe it's because violence just doesn't even cross my path in that way. So like if those dudes were throwing rocks, I would just avoid. Yeah. You know, and I have many conversations about this amongst friends about how women, we have tactics to keep ourselves safe in certain situations. A big one is when you're walking down the street at night by yourself. If there's a guy just standing on one side of the street, you go to the other. You know what I mean? Like you, you actually almost overcompensate and avoid So rather than de-escalate, you don't even let something start. Like nothing is even on the table. I wonder, and I'd be curious about that side of it. Like how different women view these same situations and how they would approach them versus somebody who is more prone to violence, whether it be male or female. But I find most of my friends, at least, we are more on the avoidance. We don't even put ourselves in those situations. So maybe that's why it's easier for me in gaming as well to go the less violent route. Which there's a lot of sociological, physiological, evolutionary reasons why that's so. And we have several women who have contributed to it who brought their own opinions. That's also one of my pet peeves in in self-defense instruction. I mean, I've, I've taught martial arts for more than three decades at this point. But, you know, just as a really tight example... I'm six foot in boots. I weigh 210. I was a high school jock, and I've been doing martial arts for a very long time. I have very little business telling women what's what about how to keep <laughs> themselves safe. My experience is completely different from yours. Yeah. Because- and I get very tired of, you know, 250-pound Marines telling soccer moms how they should act if they're assaulted. Yeah, I would say because, oh, first yeah. of all, what an aggressor wants from me as a male is probably going to be different than what they're trying to get from a woman. And secondly, the physiological and neurological both strengths and weaknesses that I'm going to have are going to be different than what a woman is going to have. Yeah, and it's not even necessarily a physical situation. I'm a strong person. I'm also a high school jock, ran track. I played basketball. I lifted weights. Like, I am not a small person. So it's not even that, like, oh, I'm so meek. Save me. It's not even that aspect of it. It's just that I think we're taught, and, you know, we could go into a myriad of reasons why very early in life, how to avoid situations versus being even in them in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of the contributors is a woman named Beverly Baker. She runs a company called Asphalt Anthropology, and she is the smartest teacher from that perspective that I've ever encountered. Going back a little bit, I mentioned earlier that there was a value to understanding what the person wants out of the situation and the role of that in de-escalating conflict. But I, I want to hit that again because of the fact that a point I didn't get to is how that applies to a role-playing game. Yeah. That when you are designing your encounters, the better you understand the NPCs or the villains or antagonists or whatever you want to call them that you're putting into your game world, the more diversity that you allow for in terms of options of 
solving the situation. That if you understand that, okay, maybe this is just some chaotic evil race and they just like violence for violence sake and that's what they do. Or maybe it's a predator prey thing where they feed on humans and so that's just, there's really no negotiating out of this. But I think in most situations, especially if you're dealing with an intelligent and morally complicated creature, if you understand their motivations as a game master, then you're in a much better situation to give your party other outs or other ways of solving this. That if there's somebody who's doing this because they want money or status or Whatever it may be, they're trying to prove themselves. Heck, they're abused at home and just taking this out on other people. Whatever it is that you put it as, you you can start to now present other options for de-escalating the situation. What was the movie? I think it was at Heat. There were people robbing a bank, and they said, we're not here for your money, we're here for the bank's Mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Heat. Okay, and it's insured by the FDIC, and you're not going to lose anything. What did that do? Okay, now some people in there might have a hero complex, but for someone in there who is, let's say, more morally neutral, you just took their reason to fight out of the equation. Or somebody who just doesn't want to die. Yeah. And that is something that really bothers me with a lot of the high-paced, high-action fantasy games like D&D, for example, is that the NPC on the other side of the encounter, dude, nobody wants to die. Why do you think that this evil orc tribe has so many goblin slaves? Because at some point, the goblins, they capitulated and said, please stop killing us. We'll do whatever it is that you want us to do because we don't want to be dead, right? The villain that you're going to murder in their sleep to steal their stuff doesn't actually want to be dead. They have like a wife and a, mm-hmm. and a kid. Sure. Like well, no, and and but but I yeah. no, no, I agree. Yeah, I'm but I do like to do that because like, I mean, even the most monstrous people can understand love and friendship and companionship and yeah. you know, or even failing all that, they have a survival instinct. Right. Maybe yeah. they have an escape plan, or they they try to run away, or they they're willing to give up. So much of. That, I think, gets avoided as well when we talk about conflict, is that eventually one side... I mean, hell, if you look at war, casualty rates are a smaller percentage than what you would think, because eventually the enemy's will to fight is what breaks. And also, by the way, an interesting bit of study there, as time goes on and war gets more sophisticated, casualty rates are actually going down, not up. Yeah, there's a couple of interesting points there, and one of them, uh, I know that uh, Mike has read this book already, um, some of Rory Miller's stuff about the motivations of different predators, right? Where you have a process predator and you have a resource predator. Because you know, there's two kinds of people who are, or beings in a game that want to kill you. One of them wants your stuff, one of them wants you, right? And the ones that want your stuff, you can talk to. You can say, hey, you can have my stuff. Or you can say, it's going to be really hard for you to take my stuff. So why don't you move along? Where process predators, they want you. They they like to hunt and kill and hurt. And talking to them and de-escalating them is, is different. Well, I want to give a big thanks to Jason for joining us. And once again, be sure to check the show notes, both for links to the Fear the Con sign-up stuff and also for his Kickstarter. I hope you guys found some stuff in this that's useful, both for your games or 
Even that aside, just trying to navigate the insanity of the world right now. And other than that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2022. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.